Welcome to Sound Mind Sound Body Stories, a podcast powered by ASICS. I'm Tegan Nash, and this is a show for anyone and everyone on a mission to improve their health physically and mentally. Now, there seems to be a pattern forming in the childhoods of these amazing women I have spoken to on this podcast. This week, I speak to another athlete who grew up in a small country town. Jess Stenson, who you may know as Jessica Trengove, is a long-distance runner who has some pretty impressive credentials. Two Olympic Games and two Commonwealth Games medals in the marathon. Jess is an athlete who has continued to train and compete despite the challenges of recently becoming a mother. Jess has had her fair share of disappointment and bad luck. She was due to be going to her third Olympic Games in Tokyo this year, but injury has put paid to that dream. Nonetheless, Jess remains stoic and philosophical. We talk strategy and how she keeps a sound mind in a sound body whilst juggling motherhood and training. Here's my chat with Jess Stenson. Jess, thank you so much for joining us today for Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories. We're so excited to chat with you. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the chat. So I want to start off with sort of where it all, where it all began. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was weekend sport like in your household? Because you come from a very sporty family. Yeah, look, I grew up in the southeast of South Australia in a town called Narracourt and it was a really active community and I'm so grateful for that upbringing and I have no doubt that it played a role in not only my love for being active and and sport but also in the values that have helped me to get to where I am today. So I grew up with my mum and dad. So my mum actually ran a swim school in our backyard and my dad's a vet. So I guess my yeah, primary school years were filled with little wake-ups during the night to go out and watch a calf being delivered or, you know, lambs being born and uh, when dad was on call. So so that was really special. And I actually wanted to be a vet like dad for a lot of my childhood, but ended up heading down the physio path. But my sister, Abby, who's two years younger, and my brother, Jack, who's four years younger than me, we loved, I guess, being active in a number of ways. So there was organised sport. Uh, the footy and netball, which was huge on the weekends. I haven't really found anything that I can liken to that. Um, the footy and netball culture in a country town, it just brings everyone together on the weekends. It's what we talked about at, yeah. at school and there were huge rivalries between um, towns that were close to each other. So I love playing netball <laughs> and if football was available, I have no doubt I probably would have <laughs> enjoyed playing that too. Um <laughs> And we did little athletics on Friday nights. I did gymnastics, ballet. We just really threw ourselves at everything we could because it wasn't hard to travel there. Everything was about, you know, 10 minutes away and um, it's sort of just what the kids did. And then from an active perspective in non-organised sport, we also went for family bike rides on the weekends. My brother, sister and I played basketball scratch matches after school and uh, did rollerblading. We, yeah, went across to the the hospital grounds near our house and, and kick the footy. So it was just a part of our way of life. Sounds like such a fun upbringing, like <laughs> having sort of big animals that you're caring for, running around with your siblings, having fun and doing sport. You could ask for anything better. It wasn't something we had to to force. It was just we had yeah. beautiful, I guess, natural surroundings and uh, mum and dad loved 
being active. We just thought that was the norm. And I've since moved to the city and I can see how it is more challenging to, to get out and exercise in mm-hmm. that way in, in more of a built up city where there's traffic and a few more safety concerns with just letting your kids head off to the nearby oval. <laughs> yeah. And how did you pull focus from all the other sports that you were doing to focus on running? That's an interesting one because I have to admit netball was probably my number one love growing up, netball mm-hmm. and then closely followed by uh, basketball. I actually moved to Adelaide um, to attend uh, college as a boarder in year 10 and I joined a a running club and was training twice a week but that was quite tricky. A coach came to the boarding house and signed me out. My parents had to sign leave slips and it was quite a process just to get out the door for training and I also was still playing a number of other sports at that time and it was actually my second year of studying physiotherapy. So I'd finished school, I was still playing netball for a club now and I was trying to make it to the highest level as a netballer and two years into my studies my brother Jack was drafted to the Melbourne Demons so he was only 18 years old at the time and his goal had always been to play AFL or or play uh, cricket for Australia. Mm -hmm. My sister Abby was rowing for the (laughs) Sports Institute here and so she was getting up at I think it was 4.30 4.30 to 4.45 a.m. every morning and riding her bike down to Westlake <laughs> training and that was an intense training schedule and I was trying to make it as a netballer but could see I'd sort of hit my <laughs> hit my root, my ceiling there. I was often told that I was a bit too short and I just felt like I had done as much as I could and I probably wasn't going to make it further. So at that stage, my focus shifted to running. I thought, well, at least with running, I can really measure my my progress in a very objective way. Mm. I'm in full control. I, I'm, I won't be sort of standing around at training, you know, waiting for for the drills to get started. I can just head out the door and run. And uh, I really didn't know whether I would make it very far, but I just decided to to dream big and, and have a crack. So it was at the age of 21 that I, I really started to focus on running and, and decided to stop playing other sports. And were you running uh, sort of shorter distances in the beginning? Did you have a coach that pushed you to take on like marathons and distance running? Yeah, look, so it was in 2008 that I started working with my coach today, Adam Didick. He had only just started coaching and was considered quite a young coach. He'd actually had an Olympic dream of being a a middle distance runner himself and was in college at the time, but ended up injuring himself and coming back to Australia for surgery. And it was during his Mm. rehabilitation that he started coaching my squad because the coach had retired. So Adam came in with this new enthusiasm and I guess willingness to learn and soak up as much as he could from the coaches around him and he identified pretty early on that my strength would be in potentially the marathon event one day. So he did have to push me a little bit. I I didn't have the same belief that he had and I was um, a bit reluctant <laughs> to do some of the extra runs that he was suggesting I do to complement the sessions but <laughs> I yeah have a lot to thank Adam for because without him there in the early days and obviously throughout the entire journey I don't think mm-hmm. I would have reached the level that I that I have. I did a half marathon last year and 
that pushed me mentally. Mm-hmm. I think I got to one point and stopped stopped my watch and cried <laughs> and was almost about to call an Uber to pick me up and take me to the to the end, but I ended up pushing through and finishing. Uh, how did you get to, thank you. How did you get to running, you know, starting from uh, running a shorter distance and then gradually building up to run the length of a marathon? Yeah, well, I guess cross country had been my background and that ranged from, well, I think when I was in reception, probably 800 metres to I think it was three kilometres by the age of sort of 12, 13. And then when I reached the senior levels, it was eight kilometres. So when Adam proposed the idea of racing a half marathon in 2010, so he'd been coaching me for two years, I was a bit intimidated but also excited because Mm. there was no pressure and I was excited to try and race on the roads because cross-country really does drain your legs, you know, the undulations, the the surfaces, and and I was keen to see how it would feel uh, racing on an even surface and the idea of travelling up to the Gold Coast to run that half marathon was pretty appealing as well. So I went into that preparation more... I guess excited and and with that sense of adventure rather than daunted by the distance and when the gun fired mm. at 6am in the darkness on the gold coast <laughs> I immediately fell in love just the crowds of people yeah and the cheers as we headed off I guess along the coast and we saw the sun rising and I felt just like I was meant to be there and that I'd found my distance and was able to settle into a relaxed rhythm. And I was really happy with the result that day and and went on to race my next half marathon in Nanning in China at the World Half Marathon Championship. So was able to get that early taste of representing Australia and Again, I just thought this is where I'm meant to be. Uh, I loved running for my country and hanging out with the other Aussie members of the team. And from that moment, suddenly the marathon was the next natural progression. And I didn't know when I would progress to the marathon, but I I did realise at that point that it would probably happen one day. And it was actually a, a setback in 2011 that led me to to race a marathon perhaps a bit earlier than I'd initially thought. I was trying to make the world cross-country team that year and and missed out and was feeling pretty deflated and had lost a bit of yeah. motivation and Adam sent me off to Canberra for a race and I met with Rob D. Costella and a few other um, greats, Sean Crichton and and the like in, in Canberra that day after my race and they really inspired me to just have a go at the marathon to qualify for the London Olympics the following year and I guess with their backing and with Adam saying yeah like what have you got to lose I I decided to give it a go. (laughs) Do you think that uh you know marathon running yes it's physical but it's also very mental as well? Mm, It's incredibly mental and I think Over the years, I've evolved physically, but also mentally. I just feel like with every race experience, with every setback, with every positive experience, I'm just growing that bank of mental strategies that that allow me Mm. to get the most out of myself. So I definitely went into that first marathon very green, but I had a very strong Olympic dream at the front of my mind that got me through and 
when I say green, I just wasn't conditioned to that distance. And so I remember feeling even at the 21, <laughs> you know, kilometre halfway <laughs> mark that something yeah. was tearing in my calf region. And yeah. I think my physiotherapy background was an asset because I could sort of work out what was Definitely. probably going on. And it sort of comforted me to, to know my body. But, you know, I look at what I was feeling that day and I, I sort of still wonder how I got through because I felt like I was progressively sort of falling apart from <laughs> yeah, about the halfway mark onwards. But I remember seeing my coach bouncing around in the in the crowd. At, it was the 34-kilometre mark and he told me that I was on pace to um, for the Olympic qualifying standard and so that just fueled me to the finish line. And then with each race experience, I've had 12 marathon um, races now. I've been able to um, refine my mental tactics and mm. I guess I do adapt them to each individual race, you know, if it's going to be hot, if it's a particularly technical mm. course, if I know there are going to be people in the crowd who will really fuel my motivation. I preempt which strategies are going to be the most appropriate to use in that race before I, I start and really try to make the first half of the marathon more of a let's just tick off each five K checkpoint, get the drinks and the the fueling in, treat it a bit more mechanically. I don't let too much emotion in. I just think about being as efficient as possible. And then in the second half and particularly the final third of the race, I let the emotions flood in and really feel yeah. the finish. <laughs> and what are some of your strategies or do you have any uh, rituals that you do before a race to mentally prepare? Well, I always follow a pretty similar taper period. So that lasts for about two weeks. I just progressively back off my volume and try to keep a little bit of intensity in there and trying to get good quality sleep and a bit more rest during the days is a big focus. I also have a big nutrition focus. And if I can tick all of those boxes, I I generally line up really confidently because I know that I've done everything I can to prepare and now this is an opportunity to reap the rewards for my hard work. So certainly getting to the start line is an achievement in itself. I like to get a little bit sentimental on race morning, whether that be listening to particular song that that gets me fired up or reading some letters or sometimes you know my coach or and you know family members write um, a note that I'll read before the race and that information is absorbed and and stored away for later in the race when I need to access (laughs) access it yeah uh, pull from that to get a bit of motivation exactly (laughs) so The strategies, as I said early on, are really about doing a bit of a checklist, making sure my my shoulders are relaxed, my arms are moving smoothly, my legs are ticking over evenly, my breathing's, you know, relaxed and rhythmical and and I really place emphasis on positioning myself well and and making sure I get my my fuel and my hydration at every five-kilometre checkpoint. And then... In the second half, some strategies I use are visualisation. So I might visualise a training partner who's been significant in that preparation, you know, just ahead of me and I'm like, stick to the shoulder, stick to the shoulder. Keeping it very simple, I give myself 
cues to prompt my my technique. I sometimes pick a landmark up ahead and think, all right, I've just got to get to that. Um, a big one I use is looking mm-hmm. at people in the crowd and particularly people I recognise and just feeding off their emotion. I often do yeah, end up Yeah, so the smiling. crowd's really important for you then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. And I I really do value the support out there and it it just sort of gives me warm fuzzies, I think, to see people who have been so prevalent in that marathon build up out there and I feel like I'm running with them and, and for them. And, you know, I'll sometimes think of the people back in my country town of Narracourt where I grew up who have sent through yeah. messages, particularly the the primary school kids for both 2012 and 2016 Olympics, they sent through these videos of them singing and dancing, having changed the lyrics to sort of say go yes or (laughs) something similar and, you know, using that to to get me to the finish line is really important too. If if I was just out there running for me, I don't think I'd really find the strength that I do when I – yeah acknowledge that I'm representing a lot of people out there. And 2014 was your first Commonwealth Games. It was a special one we yeah. placed and also your brother was there to support you. He was. So Jack, unfortunately, had sustained a really nasty fracture in his foot. So he hadn't been able to come to the 2012 Olympics, which my parents yeah. and sister had been at. So when Jack was able to come to Glasgow off the back of a, a tough year injury-wise, that was really special. And I'd actually had my own foot fracture in the lead up to that race. So I'd had a very different preparation to, to previous marathons and I did have quite a bit of doubt and at times felt pretty um, just flat. I was worried that I wouldn't Mm. be able to get myself into the shape I needed to be in to run the marathon, but I was also missing the support of my my teammates. You know, I was sitting in a bed at mum and dad's on the rowing machine. I was sometimes um, pulling the rowing machine out into the living room to to watch the the morning (laughs) news and I was on the elliptical machine and just felt a long way away from, from running at times. And there were quite a few tears shed (laughs) over those few months and I really benefited from the positive messages that my parents and my coach and my brother were giving me particularly Jack having experienced injuries himself he was able to give me Mm. some really valuable advice on just setting small goals and ticking them off each day and not thinking too far into the future just really living in the moment and celebrating the the small little wins each day. Uh, how do you go preparing mentally and physically in between big races like the Olympics and Com Games because sometimes they're years apart and, you know, there are so many ups and downs and things that can happen in those mm-hmm. years? It's a really good point. I actually would have to say my first real realization about you know the the mental side of sport and the challenges that can present was in 2012 so I'd had that high of qualifying for my first Olympics in that Mm. um, debut marathon in Nagoya and then I came back from that so that was in March and the Olympics were in August and I just hadn't set up my work situation and, and life in a way that would allow me to fit everything in so I found myself sort of working and then answering calls filling out 
administration forms and, and racing off to training and I just didn't have any time to rest and I found it really stressful and I'd say it's the closest yeah. I've come to sort of physical and mental burnout. So it was a huge relief mm-hmm. when I just got on that plane and, and headed off to London for our pre-Olympics camp. And I loved the the experience in London. I learned so much. Uh, I saw the highs, but also the lows of, you know, sport at the highest level when people don't reach the performance they were hoping to reach. And I came home from that championship sort of on a high, but then quickly realised I I didn't know what I was aiming for next, and I suddenly yeah. felt like there was just this big gap. I, I had just been so focused on on London and the Olympics and and getting mm. the most out of myself there that when I came home I I wasn't quite sure what I was working towards anymore and went through another period I guess of just feeling quite flat like I had prior to deciding I was mm. going to focus on running so it was really important during that time to seek some help and I started being supported by the South Australian Sports Institute and was able to access career counselling and sports psychology just to help me through that period because as I mentioned earlier my coach Adam was pretty new to it all as well and he was probably experiencing similar feelings on return from London so it was just important to sit down and and start setting some new goals and finding some new ways to challenge myself but also allow myself the the time to rest. Oh yeah and you know it is hard because you are up on such a high. I've spoken to a few other Olympians and they say the same thing because you've just gone away you've been sort of in this bubble and and on this extreme high that you're running on adrenaline when you come back and then you're like okay well now what? How do you also deal with the the losses. Uh, I know that you're injured at the moment, so unfortunately mm-hmm. can't go to Tokyo. That that must have been hard for you. Yeah, and I think I have developed my resilience over the years. So, what I realised when I was coming back from championships and feeling that, um, like, oh, what you know, what next? It's it is important mm. for me to to sit down and, and set some some new goals, and it doesn't have to even be in running, just in life generally. I am very goal driven, and I think I gain a lot of satisfaction from working through those big goals and the smaller process goals. So, for me, with my recent injury, I guess. I've been focusing on working on areas that are perhaps a bit weaker. Initially, I needed to sit down and reflect on why and how the injury occurred and and to identify the contributing factors, which, you know, certainly now that I'm a a mum, giving myself the opportunity to rest and absorb the training is a little bit harder. So uh, that's something I've been really trying to, to work on and, it's talked about a lot, but I, I really do believe in it. It's just sometimes around the dinner table, you know, Dylan and I will just say, what went well for you today? You know, focusing on on what you're thankful for and, and just pointing out what went well in the day. That can really help too when, when you're perhaps injured and not doing what you'd, you'd like to be doing on the training track, uh, identifying, you know, what's making you really happy each day and that's that's helped me but definitely having uh billy a little toddler around the place as well just puts everything in perspective and he 
yeah, just lights up every day. He's he's a lot of fun. <laughs> and so dealing with this injury has been a more positive experience and I've been able to sort of take learnings yeah. from it and move forward more easily than I did say when I was injured in 2014 and then again in 2016 before the Rio Olympics. Do you think that motherhood uh, has sort of changed your perspective on the sport? Because the sport can be quite solitary you know you're you're running by yourself with your with your own thoughts but then now you've got a little little bubba little man yeah I guess it does just broaden broaden your uh, perspective generally and you realize how logistically more complicated it it is now than than when I was running before becoming a mum I didn't perhaps Mm. appreciate how easy it was for me to just head out the door whenever I felt like it and and now there's a lot yeah. more planning <laughs> involved. I always knew that it was physically going to be challenging to run after the changes that occur during pregnancy and, and childbirth but the logistical challenges I hadn't really thought as much about. So, <laughs> yeah, just being more organised, planning ahead. And when we were talking about mental strategies earlier, when I race now, mm. you know, there's this whole new dimension of being grateful to be out there, being grateful for the support of my husband and having little Billy out there watching, it's there's a lot of strength to be, I guess, drawn from from those factors and I'm really looking forward to running a, a marathon when I can and having Billy there to <laughs> hug at the finish line. It's pretty cool to, I guess, love running and, and be involved in, in the running community in the way that they are because I can already see that Billy's just enjoying the outdoors and running around and I think it'll just be sort of a part of his lifestyle and, and similar to when I grew up, it just is the norm to to enjoy the outdoors and, and being active and I think there's a lot to be be gained from that. And what ASICs do you, like which ones do you like to run in? Well, I've worn a lot of different race flats over the years and I'm really excited about the new ones, which was really hard. The timing of my injury has delayed mm. um, me being able to sort of get in and wear the new Metaspeed Sky, you know, the race flat there. But I love yeah. the glass as well. I love the feel but also the look of them. I've had a lot of favourites over the years and then they've all sort of mm. evolved. It used to be the the Tava Edge and before that it was the the DS Racer and um, each time a new race flat gets released, I, I fall in love with it. So many. And uh, I absolutely love the uh, ASICS philosophy, sound mind, mm. sound body. What does that mean to you? Well, one thing that really stands out to me is just how relevant that is in today's society, yet it's a slogan that was developed many, many, many years ago before the power of the mind and the importance of sound mental health was was acknowledged like it is today. So that's really cool. And it is one of the reasons when I started working with ASICS as an ambassador that I really fell in love with the brand. You know, their products are spot yeah. on, but their their values, they really resonated. And for the marathon mm-hmm. event, sound mind <laughs> yeah. um, is is so important. People often ask, what percentage would you allocate to the physical versus the mental side of running a marathon? And I really feel like the physical requires the mental. So a marathon preparation cannot be undertaken without being very motivated and 
consistent. Mentally sound. Exactly. And when we talk about mental mental strategies, I think, you know, there are the strategies that you use in the race, but then strategies that you require just to get through a marathon preparation to maintain your motivation. You know, for me, it's knowing that if if my motivation's waning, perhaps I need to um, organise to run with with a teammate or listen mm. to a, a podcast, an inspiring podcast, read an autobiography. Sometimes it's about going back through some training diaries or looking through photos from previous race experiences and and so much of a 12-plus-week marathon block, you know, depends on how strong you can stay mentally and, and whether you can get up for the sessions but also be disciplined enough to recover in between yeah do you journal when you're in training for a marathon or do you journal on the day-to-day I journal on the day-to-day and I love it so mm-hmm. it's a little bit harder now with um, Billy running around <laughs> to sit down yes. with my training diary so I'm often catching up from the past week but all of my running and GPS data is recorded through my watch uh, onto my phone and so I can just open up Mm -hmm. the app and and write down the sessions and that sort of jogs my memory so then I can talk about how I felt and I even sort of try to record other things that are happening in my life that may contribute to good performances or perhaps hinder my training that week be related to sleep or yeah (laughs) work so (laughs) it's it's something that I've done since I'd say 2014 is when I really started to to keep a more detailed journal. I think that's really great. I think it's important to write down the good things that happen and also the bad. I think a lot of time people talk about journaling and they only journal the negative things. So that when they go back, if you were to read that again, then you're going to feel all those negative thoughts and emotions uh, yeah. but I like to encourage people to write down the good things because they're the things you want to reread and you want to revisit. That positive reinforcement is is similar to yeah. what I was saying before with sitting at the dinner table and saying what went well today you know it just it fuels your motivation and and you always feel brighter after writing down a few positive <laughs> points. I know. And what advice would you have for anyone, young or old, who might want to get into running? Well, I would start by saying that anyone anyone can run. I really think there's a way mm. for anyone to be able to run. And I think it's just so important to be patient, to find what drives you as a runner. If it's being out amongst nature, then make sure you're picking different running routes out in, you know, your favourite parts of of your of the world or your local area. If it's the social side of it, get involved in a running group or team. Um, it can be just a community group or a more formal setup, but really establishing what it is that excites you and then honing in on that. For some people, it is progress. And so wearing the GPS watch and heading out to mm. local park runs on the weekend and watching your times come down is, you know, a great way to stay motivated. But in terms of injuries, if 
you sense that something doesn't feel right, getting onto it earlier rather than later and just making sure you're moving well yeah. is going to make it a lot more enjoyable. I think when you're pushing through discomfort and, and injury pain, it's a pretty slippery slope downwards. So looking after your body and taking your favourite parts from running and going with them and, and it's only going to make you mentally happier and, and stronger and it just has so much to offer. And Jess, what's next for you? I know you want to get this injury better and potentially run another marathon. Absolutely. So my focus right now is just getting back into running safely. So I've had just over four weeks off running, which has been tough. (laughs) But as I said earlier, I've just been setting myself little goals and and taking satisfaction from ticking those off. I'm a pretty horrible swimmer. I'm just not very efficient. So just a little... (laughs) um, you know, signs of progress in the pool I've been celebrating. And uh, I've actually just gone <laughs> for my first little anti-gravity treadmill run, which was a step in the right direction. So I'm I'm oh, hoping to get back into cool. consistent running over the coming weeks. And then, you know, if I could do something, an event on the Gold Coast in July, that would be great. Otherwise, I'll be targeting something later in the year. So Yeah, come on up. <laughs> <laughs> certainly another marathon is my goal for the near future and there'll be marathon number 13 and my first since October of 2018 so it's been a while wow well hopefully we see you kicking some goals very very soon (laughs) Jess thank you so much for chatting with us today thanks for having me I love Jess's practice of sitting at the dinner table with her husband Dylan and discussing things that went well and things that they are grateful for against the backdrop of her busy life as a mum and athlete. Billy sounds like he may be a chip off the old block as well. I believe that my takeaway from this chat is the way that Jess plans her races and keeps herself motivated. You'll find details in the show notes of all we have spoken about today. And please don't forget to subscribe to Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Tegan Nash. Thanks for listening. Coming up next week. Staying calm under pressure is a quality I admire in anyone. Our next guest on Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories personifies this. At 26 years old, Wallaby star Reese Hodge is all about keeping things in perspective. We talk to Reese about his sound mind, sound body story and how he deals with pressure from the media and fans. I've had a lot of times where I've had the match winning kick and, you know, more often than not, it's actually gone over. But then on on the big stage, it it hasn't quite come off. And that's obviously disappointing. And I guess playing for your country, I I felt like I'd let a lot of people down. As well as how exercise helps keep a healthy balance between body and mind. Yeah, I can't say I was ever wanting to be an astronaut. It was always something to do with (laughs) um, being physically active. Subscribe to Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories wherever you get your podcasts from to listen to my chat with Reese Hodge.